Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of our fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. I hope you enjoyed the bonus episode last week between me and my wife, if you got a chance to listen in on that. But I'm super excited to be back with my brother. He's had a heck of a couple weeks. Uh, Tell me, I mean, what's been going on? Well, first of all, uh, I really enjoyed you and Ariel's episode. That was fun to hear your chemistry with her. I know that living as far away as we do, we don't, you know, we don't get to see that on a regular basis, you know, like we used to. So it's, I I appreciated that. I I thought it was a good bonus episode. So thanks for doing that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're going to be going on vacation this next week. So maybe you and Amanda will have to record one and put that up there. (laughs) I'll just say we have a lot going on. Oh, that's fair. Um, Yeah. But yeah, anyways, as Sam alluded to it, uh, it's been pretty busy for Amanda and myself as little Miss Evelyn Elizabeth was born on the 22nd of this fine uh, June of the year 2022. Um, It was quite the experience. Uh, She's our first child and honestly watching the birth of a child and everything that Amanda had to go through was incredibly emotional more so than i thought it was going to be for myself but it really gave me a whole new respect for what what amanda went through and watching her go through the process of childbirth and you know she's a warrior and that (laughs) that's an incredible feat and i look i look forward to the day where you get to be in that same position because it was one of the most incredible moments of my life and i don't i mean words can't hardly describe it at at one second you know you're you're just trying to you're worried about your wife and coaching her okay get ready yeah. to push and helping the nurse with you know cues on push this push that yeah. and the doctor comes in at the last second to catch the baby and all of a sudden he just says push and you go from seeing about you know two or three quarters worth of the top of my daughter's head with a little bit of hair to holy crap there's a baby <laughs> um and it was I just I immediately burst into tears and was so overwhelmed by emotion that I I didn't know what to do. Um, but I mean, thankfully, you know, the the birth went smoothly, healthy baby, healthy mama. Uh, yeah. Amanda's recovery has been a bit harder than than we were expecting it to be. Uh, she did have some tearing and required some stitches, um, and I think that's probably been the hardest adjustment. I was expecting to not sleep much and you know, focus a lot of attention on my, on my daughter, but I didn't realize how hard of a recovery it would be on Amanda. So again, it's, it's amazing to see how much of a warrior she is to go through childbirth and to just go through every, you know, aspect of it in the way that she did it. It really is incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. I can't wait to hold little Evelyn in my arms when we go up there at some point, we're going to give you guys your space. I know Steven, mom and dad are chomping at the bit to see you soon but uh yeah we're the closest ones so we figured we let everybody else go there first and have their time <laughs> but but we do want to make it up there and and see you guys we're super happy for you and i mean she's just darling i mean watching the abs game with you like watching the stanley cup 
finals no. where we where we won and just seeing <laughs> seeing her on your chest dude that whole time was was magical it was like she's a part of this she's not gonna remember this but she was there like, like oh, yeah. for years to come i'm gonna be talking to her be like you, you you don't know this but like your uncle sam was watching with seth <laughs> i mean i'm just gonna be like yeah, yeah. that'll be it's, that'll be it, awesome i know people say sports are overrated and don't get emotionally tied to sports and to some extent that's true um yeah you know you you have to be mature about it it is just a game at the end of the day but i remember it, it was interesting because i'm a huge abs fan played hockey you know growing up yep. followed the abs religiously um and it was i think it was game two, shoot i don't even remember this game four no, it must have been game four yeah it was game four um and I knew in the back of my head, like, oh, the Avs are playing right now, but I'm also coaching Amanda through pushing. And mm-hmm. it's like that thought was in the back of my head, like, yeah, they're playing, but I didn't care. Sure. And then the game went to overtime and it was after we knew Amanda was okay and she was basically sleeping in bed and um, little Evelyn had been, you know, weighed and made sure everything was going fine yep. with her. Her vitals were all good. And they said, all right, you can just hold her. And so I held her and Amanda was pretty much just exhausted and half asleep. Sure. And I was like, do you care if I turn on the game? And I turned on the Avs game and I was just holding Evelyn. And within five minutes of me turning it on, Kadri gets, yeah. gets the game winning goal in overtime. And it was the weirdest thing for me because I saw the puck go in the net and I went, huh, well, the Avs won. That's cool. <laughs> and then I just turned the TV off and it was like, looking back at that, I mean, that, yeah. that's a huge deal. It was so minuscule at the time. Yeah, it just, I was like, oh, I'm glad I got to see that. Hmm. And I didn't care. Um, and then, like you mentioned, getting, I mean, we, are, we all are in different states, but getting to watch them win the Stanley Cup. And we were all, we were actually right here on Discord. You know, you, me, yep. Micah, Steven popped in for a little bit. We had dad. dad on as well. And like you said, I was just holding her the whole time. Amanda went to bed and. You know, I'm trying not to cheer too loudly because I don't want to disturb <laughs> little Evelyn or Amanda, but like that's yeah. a story that I get to tell her and she gets to take with her the rest of her life. So it's just a remarkable experience. Yeah, dude, I'm I'm stoked for you, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't I can't wait for you guys to have that experience. And not only that, but we really can't wait for you guys to be able to meet her. She's she's something special, which every parent's gonna say, but she is. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. <clears throat> well, I have had nothing even remotely close to as exciting of the last couple of weeks as you have. Um, but we've been pretty busy. Had middle school camp um a couple of weeks ago, which was a lot of fun. We just had a student celebration Sunday this past Sunday where I got to host on stage with one of my leaders, Don. He's sixty-five, I think. He's a bit older. Um and he's leading the incoming junior boys, and they are just a mess. Like these guys are I mean, if you're listening, you know who you are, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, they're, I mean, I love them a lot and, and Don loves them so much. And so it was really cool. He got to kind of share his heart and share a couple letters on stage of what students had written to him and in front of everybody. And it was really cool. Cause we got a few people who wanted to jump in and serve with students and stuff like that. So again, it just makes me so thankful that I do have a dad that was so invested in my life and wanted to be, you know at my games, but not, not even that just wanted to know about my life and was always asking me how I was doing. And, and so, yeah, shout out to you, dad. But like so many of these students don't have that. So many of these students don't have that. And, and that's where I can see makes it hardest for him to 
to be able to act in the, in the way that they should. And so, um, but yeah, Ariel's doing great. She, she and I are getting ready for, we signed up for another Spartan race. So we're doing a 10 K super at the end of July, which will be a lot of fun. Um, I just ran my first solo 5k that I ever did, uh, yesterday and that was awful. So, (laughs) and that was just a 5k. We do, we do twice that in 25 obstacles, but, uh, in South Carolina, and Ooh, so gonna it's going to be, be hot humid. and muggy and yeah. hopefully, I mean, we're in the morning, so hopefully it's okay, but yeah, it'll be, it'll be a tough one for sure. But that's exciting. That's awesome. Yeah. It gives you a little something to, to look forward to. And like oh, I said, we're going sure. on vacation to Branson tomorrow. We drive to St. Louis tomorrow, which is not too bad. And then we'll stay there for a night and drive to Branson and go to Bill Bada Bitty. If you remember that place, <laughs> Silver Dollar I, City. I that's what yeah. Sam used to call it when he couldn't pronounce S's growing up. He was too little to pronounce the word or the letter S. And so it was Bill about a bitty instead of silver dollar city. Yep. So <laughs> it'll be a good time. It'd be a good time. That's awesome, bud. Yeah. Well, any other d- updates or should we just jump into riddles in the dark? Uh, I mean, I could talk for a year about the I'm last sure. nine days, but yeah, let's, uh, let's go ahead and jump into riddles in the dark here. Yeah. We do have a pretty hefty lore segment here, so. We do. We're going to be finishing up uh, the end of Baron and Luthien, or at least as the Silmarillion tells yeah. the lay of Luthien. So, but let's right. uh, let's do this riddles in the dark. You want me to find first? Yeah. Why don't you go ahead and, and sift through your three-part right. Lord of the Rings book there? Ooh. And a reminder: we're looking for dialogue, and we're not saying the characters' names because I'm I'm going to have to try to guess location, which book, which character, what's going on, context, stuff like that. This might be kind of obvious. Uh, let's let's go ahead and do it. All right, hit me. Your guide, the matter becomes ever stranger. I would do much for you, but I cannot. This I cannot grant. To let this slay this sly wanderer go free at his own will from here to join yeah, you later. <laughs> All right, go for it. What is yeah, it? that's that's two towers with Faramir and uh, what is it? The Forbidden Pool when he's talking about Gollum. Like, this isn't your guide. What are you talking about? Heck yeah, but you nailed that one. Yeah, it was a little obvious, but it was right where I opened up. I was like, oh, that's a good little bit of dialogue, yep. but too easy. I need to find something sure. more obscure next time. Jeez. Well, you know, this is the rules of the game. Sometimes you just get that. And when we have two decades worth of <laughs> knowledge under our belts of Lord of the Rings, oh. it's... It's tough to find stuff that are hard, but let me give you a shot. You're not wrong. Ooh, okay. Uh-oh. We'll see how this goes. The old fortress, very old, very horrible now. We used to hear tales from the south when I was young, long ago. Oh, yes, we used to tell lots of tales in the evening sitting by the banks of the great river and the will lands when the river was younger, too. <clears throat> he, be- uh, he began to weep and mutter. The hobbits waited patiently. Tales out of the south about the tall men and the shining eyes and their houses like hills of stone and the silver crowns of the king and his white tree. Wonderful tales. That is a much more difficult one. Yeah, uh, no, this is mm. tough. I did so give I, you a hint there. Yeah, no, I know it's Smeagol talking. Okay, okay. Um, you said in the old by the great river, which means the river Anduin where his people grew up next to way back when. Um, okay also where he found the great ring by murdering Deagle. Um, obviously he's in reference to Gondor and the majesty of Gondor. Um, 
you're on the right also track. talking about the dark tower. Can you read the part about the dark tower again? Um, or the dark I'm, fortress. I think you said the old fortress, very old, very horrible. Now we used to hear tales from the South when I was young, long ago. Oh yes. We used to tell lots of tales in the evening, sitting by the banks of the great river and the willow yeah. lands where the river was younger too. Gollum, Gollum. <sighs> I, I mean, this has to be when they're in the Yemen wheel, I would imagine. And they're just chatting with him. Um, not quite, not quite. No, you're, you're in the right is book. He dead marshes then. Nope, keep going further. Further? Yeah. The land of Athelion? Nope. <laughs> keep going. Oh my gosh, this is a hard... Okay, alright, what are we... Actually, what, what well... Are... Yeah, this is... Uh, it's gotta this... be the end of the Two Towers. It is near the end of the Two Towers. On... It's the be- Black Gate is closed. So it's oh, when they're... Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's talk- the old fortress, I think, is he talking about Angmar? Um... No, 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 no. I, he's talking about um, Mordor. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was a tough one. That was a good one. No, that is good. a tough one. Kudos. That though. is a tough one. Good, good not, try. Not a lot of it, but couldn't. Not that we're keeping score, home. but uh... no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. I'll find a hard one next time for you. There we go. There we go. <laughs> well, let's go ahead and jump into our very large meat and potatoes. Seth, uh, where did we leave off last time? It feels like it's been forever ago. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's been a lifetime, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's not even been that long. It's been a couple of weeks, but man, it feels like a lifetime. Um, it's been so, at least one lifetime. Hey, what do you know? <laughs> um, so yeah, so last time we left off, uh, we were talking about the story of Baron and Luthien, and we talked about um, Huan and Luthien's storming of the tall Tar and Gauroth, which is... Uh, where Sauron had captured and killed Fenrod Felagund and uh, captured Baron as well. And then they battled with Sauron and Luthien and Baron kind of went free for a time. And that's about where we left off. So where this picks up is walking through the forest uh, and their time together. Uh, it's described as the winter came, it hurt them not. The flowers lingered and the birds sang. And that was basically just in reference to Wherever Luthien went, the winter didn't hurt them. The flowers stayed even through the winter. Birds were singing even through the winter. Um, just her her magical powers. Um, yeah, she has a weird kind of power over nature. Yeah, yeah, she does. And not, not only just nature, but flowers and temperature, especially, it seems like. Mm-hmm. So when they're doing this, uh, Huan actually goes back to his master, Keligorm. Um, so if you remember, Keligorm and Karufin are the two uh, sons jerks. of Feanor. Yep, they're the two jerks, but they're the two sons of Feanor that take part in this story primarily. And Huan is uh, Keligorm's hound that was given to him by Orome uh, back in Valinor. So he went back to his master, Keligorm, and the love between the two was less than before. So, you know, Huan helped rescue Luthien and then helped her storm Tarangauroth and you know, he just, he didn't love Keligorm as much because he knew of kind of the treachery that was in Keligorm's heart, but he still went back to him because he's the goodest he's a faithful, boys. Yeah, he's a faithful dog. <laughs> <laughs> so while this is going on back in Nargothrond, so this is where Fenrod came from, uh, the elves lamented the death of their king. So they were all upset. And those that were swayed by the sons of Feanor actually began to question the motives of the sons of Feanor. Uh, they started to realize that maybe it wasn't fear that held back Keligorm and Karufin from 
trying to help and assist Veligund. Maybe it was treachery. And so they started to see through the lies that they had been um, presented. So their hearts started to turn back towards the, you know, the house of, of Veligund, which he's dead now. So his, his brother Orodreth is acting as Stuart and they make him their king. And then Orodreth basically says, all right, Kelgorm Krufen, we're not going to kill you because I don't want to bring the curse of Mandos and any more kin slaying any closer to us, but you cannot yeah. be in our land and we're not going to help you anymore. And you have to, you know, get out of here. Sure. Um, so the brothers end up leaving and it's interesting that Tolkien says none would go with them, even those of their own people. So basically everybody started to see through them and they realized, Oh, the curse lies heavily upon these two. Let's, let's let them go. And this is just a little nugget that I thought was interesting in there that even the son of Karufin, Celebrimbor, refused to go with his father and actually stayed in Argothron. So that name may sound familiar because Cel uh, Celebrimbor is actually who created the three rings of power for the elves. Uh, so his dad was actually Karufin and he was like, yep, I'm staying back. I, I can't trust my dad. So the brothers started to ride away to go find one of their other brothers and and Nargothrond was ruled under Orodreth. Yeah, and Celebrimbor, if you've ever played the game Shadow of Mordor, he's uh, part of the main uh, character. So he's kind of a wraith um, that aids the the main character. And it's actually a really interesting, not canon whatsoever storyline, but it's, it's pretty neat how he's kind of shoved in there. I think it's cool. Oh. Um, but yeah, so he, at this point, going back to Baron and Luthien, you know, they are reunited again and they're happy and they're gallivanting through the forest, which side note, if you haven't ever seen the, the TV show Gallivant, it's epic. <laughs> Have you seen it? Yeah, Amanda and I love it. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> With Timothy and Mundison. It's, he's, it's horrible, but it's horribly it's so beautiful. Funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, oh, that's a very uh, niche comment. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's going to get that. <laughs> But yeah, they were they were enjoying their time together and they I mean, again, they love one another so much and they are reunited with seemingly no no problems, but then uh you know, Baron remember his oath remembers his oath and he starts feeling kind of this this guilt or or unfulfillment, you could say. You know, he's like, gosh, the I, weight of the weight of his oath is yeah, heavily on his shoulders. It's it's yeah, it's pushing him down because he remembers the oath that he gave to Luthien's father of getting him a Silmaril um, before he could actually be with Luthien. So, you know, he's loving being with Luthien, but he feels guilty that he is with her without fulfilling his oath. So um, he's like, all right, I got to go. I got to go do this. And, uh, but Luthien wasn't willing to leave him. And she says, this is a quote, you must choose Baron between the two things to relinquish the quest and your oath and seek a life of wandering upon the face of the earth or to hold to your word and challenge the power of darkness upon its throne, referencing Morgoth. But on either road, I shall go, which I love that. She's like, I don't care what you decide. I'm, I'm yours. You know, either, either road I shall go with you or doom shall be alike. You know, she's pretty much saying like, I'm so intertwined. Our lives are so intertwined at this point. Like whatever you're doing, I'm doing. Um, and so they're having this conversation and maybe you think, okay, those, those two jerks, you know, Kerfin and Kelligorm are gone. They're, they're not going to be a part of the story anymore. Well, you might be wrong <laughs> at this point. They're having this conversation and those sons of Feanor uh, come up and Kelligorm turns his horse to ride down Baron. Again, these guys are just jerks. Like, I don't get what their problem is, but they, he, he, he turns and he's just charging with his horse to ride down Baron. 
And Curifin actually stooped to lift up Luthien. So he, he was trying to grab her and uh, Kelligorm is trying to take out Baron. But Baron jumps out of the way of the horse and le- he, he makes the leap of Baron, which is a renowned. I, I think it's funny how you know, Tolkien says this leap of Baron was renowned. I don't know how far he jumped. I don't know how high he jumped. But it's renowned. <laughs> this it's leap even of capitalized. Baron. It's capitalized in the book, the leap yeah. of Baron. So yeah. it's like it's a well-known thing. Yeah, it's it's a big deal. This leap of Baron, but you know, so he he sidesteps the horse and he sprung on, on, uh, on Curifin and grabbed him by the throat and he throttled him down to the neck, saving Luthien. And at this point, Kelligorm, you know, he's on his horse. He doubles back and he charges at Baron to save his brother. Again, you see in Baron's like choke holding his brother. And uh, as death was near to Baron, uh, Tolkien says, "Who on my buddy? Who on my man? My boy." My dog, he forsook the service of Kelligorm. So even though he was faithful to his master, he sees, look, this is wrong. And he jumps and leaps in front of Kelligorm. His leap is not capitalized, <laughs> but he no. leaps in front of Kelligorm, uh, causing the horse to swerve aside. And he, and he s- then stood his ground, preventing Kelligorm from attacking him. I kind of imagine like when dogs like jump in between two, two people and just kind of growls down at him like, no, you cannot touch this person. So at this point, uh, Luthien basically says to Baron, like, I forbid you from killing Karufin. Like, it's not okay. I know that that's what they were going to do. They were going to kill you and steal me to marry me off to get power. But I forbid you from from killing him. And so I, <laughs> I really like what Baron does. He despoils him of all his gear and weapons, including the knife Angrist. So the knife Angrist is actually, it's really cool. So it was made by Telkar of Nargrod, who was a dwarf of the Blue Mountains and was considered one of the greatest smiths to have ever lived in Middle-earth. And the funny thing about him is he's also known for creating a couple of other things. He created Narsal, which is the sword that is used to cut the fingers, or cut the ring off the fingers of Sauron uh, at the end yeah. of the Second Age. That is later reforged, yep, by, well... well. Isildur kills him. Kills, well, yeah. Elendil kills him, and then Isildur cuts off his hand. Yeah, cuts yeah, off yeah, the yeah. fingers. Um, and then is later reforged as Anduril that Aragorn carries around. And then the second thing that he forged was actually the Dragon Helm of Dorloman, which was, if you know anything about the story of the Children of Hurin, it is a, a helmet that was created to withstand dragon fire, and was a fear anybody wearing it uh, was. It was well known throughout the land, and the orcs were scared of it, and everything like that. Randwill um, could have any- used that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he could have. Anyways, back to this knife that he stole. This knife was so sharp that it was said it could cleave iron as if it were green wood. So that comes into play a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, so then Baron flung Karufin aside and told him to go find his kinsfolk, <laughs> who might teach him to use his valor for a more worthy use. So he's basically like, oh, you have valor, but go find somebody to teach you how to direct it in the right area. Yeah, put put all that energy and anger and and point it in the right direction. Exactly. Um, And then he said, your horse I keep for for the service of Luthien, and may it be accounted to be free of such a master. So he takes Karufin's horse. Yep. And says, this is for Luthien. So... Uh, you guys can go now. And so as the brothers turn to ride away, because Kelligorm goes over, picks up Karufin, Karufin actually took Kelligorm's bow and aimed it at Luthien to, if if he doesn't get the prize, nobody does. Um, and he shot at 
Luthien with his arrow, and Huan actually leapt in front of the arrow and caught it in his mouth. So again, Huan is... so awesome. He's he's so awesome. The best. He's just the best. Um, But... Of course, Karufin being an elf, he I think of just the Legolas from the movies where it's mm. arrow after arrow after arrow. He shoots another arrow, again aimed for Luthien, and this time Baron actually leaps in front. And the dart smotes him right in the chest, and he comes close to dying, and Huan actually chases the brothers away. And then, I don't know how Huan knows, but he brings back an herb, is how Tolkien says it. He brings back an herb to staunch mm. the wound and revitalize him. And so I'm thinking... Is this Athalas? Like, it's King's not foil? named. Yeah, is it King's Foil? Is it Athalas? Like, is this the first time that you see it mentioned? I don't know, but it's kind of a fun little, yeah, a fun little aside there. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder that exact same thing too. I think it's funny how this leap of Baron was not capitalized. This was the leap that, like, literally saved her, and then <laughs> he almost dies from this. <laughs> Maybe he like uh, tripped on a root and fell in front of her at the right time to catch the arrow in his chest. I don't know. I guess, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, she, with the help of this herb, Ethelas, if it might be, she revitalizes his wound and, and heals him. Again, we see Luthien healing and reviving yeah. Baron so many times. You know, he saved her this time, but I think she still has the tally count if they're keeping score, which good couples never keep score but of course, you know not. Of course not but if they were if they were if they were exactly <laughs> um but then they arrive into doriath safe and sound and and yet again baron is feeling this this urge to again continue the quest and so this time he decides to leave without telling luthien and uh, so he he leaves one morning and she he, he knew she was safe and sound and so he left before the sunrise and told huon to take care of her and so he rode north um again putting putting her in the safety and the comfort of, of the best boy ever. But as he was on the threshold of the end of his quest, he stopped and sang a song of parting out loud for Luthien, which again, I love how Tolkien does this. He, he incorporates song. And I mean, I've sent Ariel so many cheesy poems and have just like, you know, made up cute little songs before, but never like this. I mean, Tolkien had such a way with words and I think he just wanted to, subtly flex on people like hey guys can sing too you know look at look at these uh, words i'm gonna sing um but she heard this from afar and huon again allows her humbles himself to uh ride him and so they sped up north to, to catch him because again luthien said whether you go on your quest or wander i'm gonna be with you and so even though he tried to run away without her she gets on four legs and catches up to him and so Luthien then disguises them as servants of the Dark Lord. So disguises them as Dragluin, um, if you remember the uh, the big wolf that Sauron had, and then the bat fell of Thurin Gwethil, the messenger of Sauron, who flew in vampire's form. Again, we don't see vampires in Lord of the Rings. You think that's that's just wild to me, um, but. They flew in vampire's form, described as having great fingered wings that were barbed at each joint and with an iron claw. So Seth and I, we were thinking maybe this is a, a fell beast an- ancestor, you know, the the steed of the Witch King, or is this a, a Maya, kind of like the Balrogs and, and Gandalf, or is this just a skin changer similar to like Bayorn? I don't know. We don't really get to know what what uh, what this was, but they disguised yeah, you themselves. Really, you really don't much about her it's basically just oh she's the messenger of sauron and she flies in vampire's form as this dreaded beast yeah yeah so we don't know but uh they caught up to 
they caught up to Baron, and he was terrified because he saw the creatures in front of him, thinking he's seeing Dragluin and, and Thurn Gwethil. Um, and he thought they were coming after him, but he discovered who they were, and he cursed his oath to Thingil because he was bringing Luthien under, under the shadow of Morgoth. So again, he's like, ah, oh, man, why did I ever do this? This is stupid because now she's going to be by my side going on this horrible, dangerous quest, and you know, I don't again, know what's going to happen. Again, he's not thinking of himself. He's thinking about her. He's like, yeah, yeah. I'll go. I'll die. Whatever. Not a big yeah. deal. Like, yeah. I'll put myself out there and try to do it, but he hates himself for dragging you know, for p- tying her fate to his. Yep. And then our, our good boy, Huan, spoke up for the second time. If you remember, he was permitted to speak three times. He's spoken once before. He, he counseled Luthien in jail. And the uh, second time here, um, he provides counsel to both Baron and Luthien. Um, Tolkien said, for he loved them both, and he told Baron that he could no longer save Luthien from the shadow of death, for by her love, she is tied to it. So again, she is going to die because of her love of Baron, so there's nothing he can do about it which sounds kind of hopeless and depressing but at the same time it's kind of cool like it might give him a bit more peace to the fact of like okay like she's gonna die regardless like might as well be next to me you know fighting Morgoth or something like that <laughs> um so uh Huan also said that they could turn and live a life of exile seeking for peace while never finding it or together they could challenge the fates of Arda hopeless and yet not certain so they sped ahead. They decided, all right, we're going to finish this quest. We're going to go ahead. And they go to the gate of Angban, where Morgoth's fortress is. And Baron disguises himself as Dragluin this time, and Luthien as Thorin Gwethil. And no one stopped him. They kind of went through the gate, and everyone assumed that they were the servants of Morgoth, so they didn't stop him. Um, but this is a little excerpt from, from Tolkien of just kind of a description of what they're, what they're going through. It says, Black chasms opened beside the road, whence forms as of writhing serpents issued on either hand the cliffs stood at embattled embattled walls and upon them sat a carrion fowl crying with fell voices again this just kind of sounds to me like kind of a description of hell you know the darkest yeah. place on earth with foul voices and probably horrible stench stuff like that um, but continuing before them was an impregnable gate which obviously was not amanda oh snap (laughs) alright sorry (laughs) sorry an impregnable gate an arch wide and dark at the foot of the mountain above it reared a thousand feet of precipice so again that just paints a really solid picture of what they're up against they are going through disguised as fell beasts of Morgoth and this is what they have this is what they have to get through yeah so basically right as they get up to the gate here um, they're just overtaken by dismay for at the gate was uh, this new character named Karkaroth. Uh, he's known as the Red Maw or Jaws of Thirst. Um, mm. Basically, so his backstory is he was a puppy, I guess you would call it, of the race of Draugluin. Don't, so, don't try to make him sound cute. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't make this guy try to sound cute. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, he, as the way Tolkien says it is he is a whelp of the race of Draugluin. So if you remember, Draugluin was the lord of all werewolves. He was the first, he was the mightiest at the time. Um, but basically what Morgoth did is he took one of one of the whelps of his of his race and fed him with his own hand. So this is Morgoth, the you know, the e- most evil being in the world, the most powerful being in the world. He's feeding this wolf as from a from a wee little lad. Mm-hmm. Um 
he's feeding him with his own hands and he's raising him for the sole purpose to fight Huan whenever the time would come. Because being from oh, Valinor, yeah. he knew the decree that mm-hmm. Huan would die, but only after fighting against the greatest wolf to ever walk the earth. And so Morgoth knew about this and he's basically like, all right, let's, let's get this guy up to speed here so that when this time comes, I'm ready. Um, which yeah. is, you know, you got to respect the forethought actually. Sure. Um, so he's described as he could not creep into any den and slept hungry at the feet of Morgoth. So I just feel kind of bad. It's kind of the same thing as, you know, you get a puppy, you raise it right. The puppy is your friend. You know, he's mm-hmm. who on for the rest of yeah. its life. But there's people that starve their dogs, leave them outside, treat them poorly, you know, and then mm-hmm. those dogs are just, they're not, I don't want to say they're evil, but they're not, they're not good dogs. And it's because of their upbringing. And that's kind of what yeah. I invent. Granted, he's still a werewolf, but <laughs> I still envision a little bit of that. Like he's just yeah. got a terrible, terrible master. Sure. Um, and Tolkien describes it as there, the fire of anguish and hell entered into him and he became filled with a devouring spirit, tormented, terrible, and strong. So basically this is the biggest, baddest wolf that, you know, Huan is eventually going to have to fight. Right. But Huan yep. didn't come with them um, on this, on this road at this point. Um, so when he saw Baron and Luthien, from way out, he started questioning to himself because he knew that Draugluin was dead. He knew Huan had killed Draugluin already. Mm-hmm. And so he sees Draugluin coming to him and he's like, wait a minute, I need to I need to stop this. So he denies them entry into Angband and basically tells him like, all right, you need to wait here. I need to figure out what's going on. Yep. Um, and this is when Luthien actually casted her, casted away her foul raiment and faced Karkaroth and she commands him Oh, woe-begotten spirit, fall now into dark oblivion and forget for a while the dread of the dreadful doom of life. And thus Karkaroth was felled as though lightning had stricken him. So she basically, again, using her magic of singing and her voice, just puts him to sleep right away. Yeah, which I have to point out, you know, again, the parallels to, you know, a lot of people's favorite fantasy story harry potter you know you think of chamber of secrets the second one when they are trying to get past a three-headed dog well what is going to work oh it's music you know it's a song um and so that's actually that's actually super interesting i that has to well i don't know it would make sense it would make perfect sense that that was her inspiration do you really think she went into the silmarillion though she might have i i I'd be surprised if she didn't, honestly. There's so, there's so many parallels there. And, and again, if you are a fantasy writer, you don't grow up not reading everything Tolkien wrote. I mean, that's true. I and think yeah, that's just a fact. You're spot on. They, it lines up perfectly. It's a perfect parallel. I did not ever think about that, but you're right. Yeah. Well, but anyway, so Baron and Luthien, they, they go down again to just the darkness of Morgoth's uh, fortress here, and they get to his throne. And his hall was upheld by horror, lit by fire. So that's the only light available is fire, which again, you know, kind of throw, throws me back to maybe imagery of hell. And it's just filled with weapons of death and torment. But there Luthien was stripped of her disguise. So Morgoth like sees, okay, these guys are not who they are trying to you know, portray themselves as. And he strips them of their disguise. But when he sees how beautiful she is, um, he, he lingers. His eyes just like are fixed and taken aback by her beauty. 
And just, just listen to how Tolkien writes this. He says, Then Morgoth looked upon her beauty, conceived in his thought an evil lust, and a design more dark than any that had come yet into his heart. So again, this guy's done some horrible crap up to this point. He has been just the baddest of the bad villains we've seen, and yet the worst, most evil thought comes into his mind when he lays eyes on Luthien. I mean, Tolkien is describing, you know, some pretty dark stuff here. Um, but yeah, this is... It says that a design more dark than any that had come into his heart since he had fled from Valinor. Thus, he was beguiled by his own malice. So he's watching her, but then he's, he's beguiled by his own malice for by watching her, leaving her free for a while and taking secret pleasure in his thought. I mean, the guy's a creep. <laughs> yeah. but, but also, I mean, he's just, he's just, again, this is the most evil evil we see Morgoth because he's envisioning all the things that he would do either to Luthien or with Luthien. And by doing so is kind of his own, his own demise because he's just leaving her free when we know how powerful she is. He probably thinks she's not powerful at all. You know, probably no big deal, just a beautiful woman. Um, but as Tolkien it is says, interesting. Oh, it is interesting. I was just going to say, it is interesting to me how Tolkien is able to make you understand the deepest depths of this evil without describing a darn yeah, thing. He doesn't absolutely. use any imagery. He doesn't use any um, direct descriptions of what Morgoth is thinking, but you can tell just by the way he phrases everything, just how evil it is. And I think that that's, you know, a testament to Tolkien as a writer absolutely. that he can make you feel a certain way without, you know, being super graphic. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So then Luthien eludes his sight because, again, he's just, he's just fantasizing in his mind about her. And, and she eludes his sight and, again, begins a song of surpassing loveliness and such binding power that he listened, that he listened and, and, and blindness came from him. And his eyes roamed to and fro. So he's kind of like foggy-eyed, looking around like, what's going on, trying to find her. And then the song put all the court, so everyone around him, too, because he's not alone, everyone around it to sleep and quenches the fires that's insane like her song is literally able to put out fire you think of her being able to like melt the the snow in winter but now she's literally quenching fire it's it's amazing this this woman's power that is, that she has and and displays here um so yeah everything is is still but then we see the silmarils they shine bright and blazed forth with the radiance of white flame and the weight of the burden because again, if you remember, they're on the crown of Morgoth. He's wearing all three of them on his head. It just kind of forces Morgoth to dip his head and bow down because he's, he's fallen asleep. And then the weight of the Silmarils brings him down. So then Luthien casts her cloak aside and about his eyes set him into a dream state. So he's, he's sleeping good. He's, he's dreaming of uh, something going on. But Tolkien says, dark as the outer void that he once occupied before beginning the world. So that's where he's gone. He has no conscience and consciousness whatsoever. And he fell to the ground and his iron crown rolled off his head. And then it says all things were still. Yeah. Which is pretty remarkable. Um, and so this song that Luthien sang actually put Baron to sleep as well. Of course um, it did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, of course it did. And so he's still in the, he's still disguised as Draugluin, right? So yeah. um, he's basically just like a dead beast while he's laying on the ground because he's put to sleep. He's still, you know, this grotesque werewolf. And Luthien actually wakes him up and sh he shakes off his disguise. And using the knife Angrist, which 
hey, thanks, Karufin, right? Yeah, um, comes in handy. <laughs> it comes in handy. Um, he's actually able to cut one of the Silmarils from Morgoth's crown that had rolled off. And so as he takes one of them, he starts to get a little greedy, and he's like, wait a minute, that was easy. Might as well just grab all three, right? Sure. And so as he starts to cut the second one, the knife actually breaks. Um, and a shard of that knife goes, and it hits Morgoth in the cheek, and it makes him stir and makes everything else stir. And it's interesting um, the way Tolkien phrases it is like that this was not the doom of the Silmaril. So it wasn't, he didn't phrase it as though like Baron was being super greedy. He phrased it as like, no, they have a different appointed doom. And yeah. so it wasn't like permitted for him to take all three. Mm -hmm. um, but what's also interesting is when he takes that first Silmaril and he holds it up in his hand, it actually his whole hand starts radiating and shining like a lamp and the jewel actually allowed him to hold it. Cause if you remember when we talked about the Silmarils way back when um, the Silmarils had a couple of uh, like rules, I guess they could not be born by anybody who's mortal, which Baron is mortal and they could not be touched by anyone that was evil. So that's why Morgoth had to wear them in a crown as opposed to like on a necklace or holding them as, you know, putting them into a ring or something. That's mm -hmm. why he had to have them above his head. So the jewel actually suffered his touch and let him hold it. Um, and we know that Baron's not evil. A quick little note here too. You've seen Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Uh, it's been a while. Well, anyway, the Infinity Stone, the Power Stone at the very end, like, oh, what's his name? Gosh, I, the main character, Peter Quill. That's it, Peter Quill, Star-Lord, uh, grabs the Power Stone in his hand at the very end and it kind of yields his power too. So again, we're just seeing parallels of you know modern fantasy to old fantasy and then you know they have to like connect you know peter quill with rocket and drax and everyone else to withstand the power of this of this stone which i always thought the the infinity stones are very similar to the similarals anyway but that's just a little aside sorry <laughs> yeah no that's fine i don't know that story as well so that's interesting um so yeah i thought it was interesting that we know that baron's not evil so right but he is mortal. He's a man, but the mm -hmm. jewel is allowing him to touch. So what kind of foreshadowing is that? You know? Yeah. Um, so just uh, being a skeptical reader might, something might stick out to you. Um, so anyways, after he tried to get that second one and the knife broke and it hit Morgoth in the cheek, the throne room began to awaken and Baron and Luthien were just like, Oh shoot, we got to get out of here. And so they yeah. fled as quickly as they could. Cause all they really cared about, was just to see the light. If only yeah. they could see the light once more, because it's so dark and uh, dank and just, you know, it's an evil pit of hell, basically, that they're in. Yep. Um, so as they're, they make, make it all the way back up from the deepest dungeon, all the way back up to the gate, but the gate was actually held against them by Karkaroth. And so he had awoken from sleep and he was aware of them because they weren't disguised anymore. And he sprang upon them immediately to try to stop them and prevent them from getting away. And at this point, Luthien's powers were spent. She was exhausted. She had just put, you know, the Lord of darkness to sleep. I mean, yeah. she had just exuded so much energy that she just had mm -hmm. nothing left. And at this point, Baron actually jumps in front of her and holds up the Silmaril in his right hand and says, get you gone and fly for here is a fire that shall consume you and all evil things. So oh, he's right about that. <laughs> he is indeed. But again, another tie-in. That sounds sort of similar to what Sam says to Shelob in yeah. the Return. Of, well, I guess it's technically a two, two Towers book um, when he holds up the file of Galadriel. 
which the file of Galadriel has some of the light of Arendelle, their most beloved which is, star, which yep. is the light of the Silmaril. Exactly. So there's just all kinds of tie-ins that is just mind blowing the depths yeah. of Tolkien's work. Um, but anyways, Karkaroth, he sees the jewel and he's not daunted by it. He's not like he's evil, but he's not daunted by it. And he's like, okay, well, might as well go for it. And there, Tolkien says a devouring spirit within him awoke, and he suddenly bit off Baron's hand at the wrist. So Baron's holding it above him, like, this will prevent you, this will consume you. And Karkaroff, this evil wolf of all wolves, just goes, yeah, okay, I'll eat you. And so he bites his hand off. Um, and Tolkien sa- then says, then all his insides were filled with a flame of anguish as a Silmaril sealed, seared his accursed flesh. And he fled howling before them, and the walls of the valley echoed with the clamor of his torment. So terrible was his madness that all creatures of Morgoth fled before him, and he slew all living things in his path. So it's exactly what Baron said. Like, this fire will consume you, and it'll torment you. And so he, he went for it anyways, and basically it just set off this madness. Yeah, it was not good. And after having his hand bitten off, which again, I... I mean, as you're describing that, I just kind of thought to like the comical movies where you see like the hero jumps in front and then there's this pause. The the beast is just like, eh, no, no big deal. It just like eats it anywhere. <laughs> like just kind of one of those comical moments um, yep. where you think, oh, wow, he's going to like fight this thing off. And it's just like, nah. <laughs> uh, but after having his hand bitten off, Baron is is in a swoon. You know, he's bleeding like crazy. Probably he's he's exhausted and tired, but he's within the gates and death was near to him because again venom came from the fangs of Karkaroth and so Luthien again here she comes to to save the day for Baron she stoops near him and with her lips draws out the venom of Karkaroth I mean this this lady can do it all <laughs> she can do it all um, but as Angband was reawakening because again Luthien had put everything to sleep um, Baron and Luthien lay dying on by the by the gate. So like right at the gate, they're just they're, they feel like they're dying, and things were looking horrible. Like it looked like the end of their tale. Like yeah, this was their captured. Silmaril's gone. Yeah, failure was, of the quest. Absolutely. But this happens time and time again in, in Tolkien's <laughs> world. Uh, something that some would say mighty convenient. Thrandor. The Lord of Eagles came swooping in to save them. So he was just, you know, minding his business, patrolling the skies upon the request of Huon, because Huon was like, hey, something's about to go down near Angband. Like, just keep an eye on things. Keep an eagle eye out, if you will, um, to watch. And, and if there's need for aid, go ahead and bring it. And so he sees, hey, there's Baron and Luthien, and Throndor and his eagles swoop down, and they carry up Baron and Luthien. They pick him up kind of similar to what you see in, in the Re- Return of the King with Frodo and Sam and Gandalf. Um, but they flew across the high roads of heaven, uh, which again, I think is interesting that heaven has roads. Um, but Luthien, as she's kind of in this little trance, you know, she's flying through the air. She, ke- she catches a glimpse of the radiance of Gondolin. And, and finally, they are brought to the borders of Doriath. And then Huon's there, and he comes to them. Then Huon and Luthien tended Baron. Uh, just as they did before when Curifin had wounded him with the arrow. And Baron was, again, revived. I mean, this guy's like a cat. How many lives has he got you know, at this point? <laughs> I mean, as long as you've got Luthien, I guess I'm living, yeah, right? <laughs> I guess I guess so. 
Um, but then they decided to go home. So Baron led Luthien back home to Minigroth to their father, her father, Thingol. Yeah, I just wanted to point out too when they, um, when Tolkien mentioned they saw a glimpse of Gondolin. If you don't know much about Tolkien's lore, Gondolin is the hidden city that Morgoth desires to destroy above all else. Um, and it's this incredibly beautiful city that eventually he does destroy. He finds out where it is, but it remains hidden for thousands of years. And it's kind of within, it's encircled by mountains and there's only like one way in and nobody is allowed in or out if they're not of the people of the city. So Luthien has never seen it. She doesn't know where it is, even though she is one of the most powerful, good meaning, best people on the planet. She's not even allowed to know where the city is. So it's just kind of cool that they fly over it and she kind of catches a glimpse of the radiant beauty of the city. Now, that's really cool. I was going to say, hey, spoilers that Morgoth was able to bring it down. But I guess there's a book literally called The Fall of Gondolin. So not really, <laughs> yeah, not really spoilers. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, um, so while Luthien was gone, Doriath, which was the kingdom of Thingol and Melian, uh, it mm-hmm. fell upon evil days. People searched and searched for Luthien and they couldn't find her. And even Thingol went to Melian, his wife, for counsel. And if you remember from the earlier episodes, he didn't really do that early on and didn't really listen to the counsel that she gave him. Silent um, treatment. So the, yeah, so this time she, he goes to her for counsel and basically she's like, look, man, you've made your bed, time to lie in it. Mm. Um, so she kind of just turns him aside and says, you've made your bed, figure it out. Um, so at this point, the messengers in the northern part of his realm are suddenly met with this peril, sudden and unlooked for, um, for it was the onslaught of Karkaroth. So at the northern part of his kingdom, if you remember, Karkaroth just went sprinting out of Angband. He doesn't know where he's going. He's killing everything in his path. He's just causing chaos and destruction everywhere he goes because of that Silmaril burning within him. Um, and so it's said that in the madness, in his madness, nothing could stay him. Even the power of the girdle of Melian, for fate drove him, and the power of the Silmaril tormented him. And only Malblung, the chief captain of the king, escaped to bring tidings to Thingol. So if you remember the girdle of Melian, we talked about that a little bit before. That was this like web of protection that Melian had spun around Doriath to keep it hidden, keep it safe. Um, that Baron actually somehow found a way through, and we touched on that early earlier on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Malblung is, he's actually a pretty cool character that I really like in the, the book, the children of Hurin. Um, but it's interesting that he's the only one that survives the onslaught of Karkaroth to go back to Thingol and be like, Hey man, (laughs) we got a problem. Yeah. There's, there's a big evil that's on his way here. Um, but meanwhile, during all this time, Baron leads Luthien, uh, to the gates of Menegroth and then to the throne of Thingol, her father. And he looks, and, and Thingol looked upon Baron with just this wonder, um, but he still didn't care for him. You know, he wasn't going to give him the satisfaction of like, oh man, like look at look at all the things you've done up to this point. Maybe I'll accept you into the family. He he, Tolkien says he's he he loved him not still, um, but Baron uh, knelt before Thingol and he said, "I am come now to claim my own." So he's saying, "Remember our oath. You said if I bring you a Silmaril." then I get to have your daughter. He's like, I am here to claim your daughter. And he says, even now, I love this, even now, I have a Silmaril in my hand, which is technically true. (laughs) (laughs) And he opened his left hand, but there was nothing. He's doing it so dramatically. Yeah, he's he's making a scene. He's (laughs) like, here it is. 
Just kidding, there's nothing in this left hand. And then he pulls out his right arm, and the entire hand is missing. <laughs> and so he's pretty much saying, I, there, there's a Silmaril in my hand, and that was our oath. You said, bring to me a Silmaril in your hand. And I kind of did that, but I just don't have my hand anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so Thingle kind of like, he looks on him, and he's like, wow, okay, this guy has done a lot um, for my for my daughter and for me and so his his mood kind of turns to baron and he lets baron and luthien sit on his right and his left upon his his throne and he listens to their tale and in in just absolute amazement and perceives that their doom might not be withstood by any power of the world and at last he yielded and baron took the hand of luthien so he's saying all right you've done you've done enough like here you've done take the impossible yeah yeah you've done the impossible I believe your tale. Here's here's my daughter. And so all seemed really well with Baron and Luthien and Thingil. But you might remember there's this Silmaril crazed crazed wolf on on the prowl and he's running towards Menegroth. Uh Kargaroth is still very much at large and so Thingil and Baron decide to start up a hunting party. Um, the hunting of the wolf in capitals. I love how Tolkien just decides to like title things. Um, yeah, uh, which means that this is probably like a song that is you know that the elves sing about for generations. You know, like this hunt, they probably yeah. sing about it. You know, yeah, this, this either sing about it or, or it's a tale that's told. But the hunting of the wolf. Uh, I'll just kind of share the company. So it was obviously Baron and Thingol, but then Huon the Hound is also there. He's hanging out with them, which is great to have. Beleg. Strongbow is coming with a Mablong, who Seth just mentioned, uh, of the heavy hand, Tolkien says. This is the company, the hunting party, to set out to kind of protect their land of Doriath, to kill Karkaroth. So they departed in the morning, and Luthien, for the first time, kind of remains behind, but then Tolkien says that a, a huge darkness fell upon her, and he, he mentions it's as if the sun had turned a sickening black. So again, she's just kind of feeling the the woe and the sorrow of what might come about from this hunting party. Um, but they found who uh, they found Karkaroth, they found the wolf and he was drinking out of the river as Galduin in attempt to quench the fire burning inside of him with the Silmaril. Cause again, you think of like, you know, if you ever had like super hot Buffalo wings or something like you just, you're downing water or milk to try to quench the fire that's in your stomach. I mean, that's kind of how I, I look at Karkaroth. He's, he's burning from the inside out because of the Silmaril. Yep. So he's just, He's just like chugging water from this river. Doing whatever he can. Doing whatever he can, right? And he he looks up and he he sees the company, but he didn't he didn't attack him, which is interesting. Like he he decides even though he's has this madness, this craziness from the Silmaril, he doesn't attack him. Instead, he goes and hides away from them. And so the company decides to set up camp there and set a watch to wait for an opportunity to to kind of strike. Um, yet <laughs> Baron and Baron and Thingle notice. They look around. They're like, here, boy. Huon. <laughs> and Huon was no longer by their side. He's like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to go find this whelp of a wolf and I'm going to go kill him. And so he goes and tries to find him, but Karkaroth avoided Huon and instead snuck up on Thingle. So I don't know how a wolf of the size and magnitude of Karkaroth sneaks up on Thingle, but he does. And he jumps, leaps at Thingle. But our guy, Baron, he is heroic as they come, reacts quickly, and jumps in front of the wolf with a spear. But Karkaroth threw the wolf aside without a problem, and he bites Baron in the chest. So he just kind of clinches. I kind of imagine it like he just, he takes Baron and just like 
clamps in between his jaws. You know, his back, his chest are just inside his his jaw. I kind of I kind of envision like a Jurassic Park. Yeah, Rex death. You know (laughs) exactly. Yeah, so things are not looking good for Baron at all. But then Huin comes in one more time. The goodest of boys jumps from the thicket. And he attacks Karkaroth. And back and forth they fought. It was the most insane, intense battle between two beasts that has ever been fought or ever will be fought, as Tolkien describes. And in the midst of the fighting, Thingol, you know, you'd think he'd be like, oh my gosh, I need to go help Huon. But he sees Baron. He sees how hurt Baron is. And like, oh my gosh, this guy's about to die. So and he, he kneels. To save my life. That's. Yeah. Yeah. He, he kneels beside him and he's like, he's, he's probably grateful, but also sorrowful looking at looking at the body of Baron sitting there. Um, but at length, Huon slew Karkaroth. So you might be thinking, like, wait, wasn't Karkaroth supposed to be the one to kill Huon? Wasn't that the prophecy? Well, it, it was. Because of the poison, the venom of Morgoth that was in Karkaroth, probably from what you know, Morgoth had been feeding him this entire time through the food and the water that he drank, probably just developed this venom inside of him that that entered Huan because again, back and forth they went. He probably bit him a few times, probably got him really deep. And so Huan on all fours just kind of stumbles up next to the, the prone body of Baron and he falls to the ground. He, he lays down beside him. And so they lay together Huan and Baron. And for the third time, the final time Huan speaks and Tolkien doesn't actually tell us what he says other than that. He bade Baron farewell. So again, like this is just a, a really emotional moment. And the, again, the first couple of times I read this, I, I was brought to tears, you know, just thinking of my dog Pippin and if he actually loved me that much, I don't think he does, but if he actually loved me that much to like lay down next to me and just be like, see you later, dad. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's emotional. I mean, he's permitted to speak three times and his third time is saying, I love you, man. We'll see you on yeah. the other side. Like it's a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. And so so Huan dies, and Baron lays his hand on the top of Huan's head, kind of pets him a little bit. He doesn't um, even say anything. He does, yeah. He has he's he's got no words. Um, and Huan the Hound breathed his last. Yeah. Um, and basically, at this point, I believe it was Malblung. It might have been Beleg, but I'm pretty sure it was Malblung. Walks over to Karkaroth, and actually, he cuts open his stomach. And to get the Silmaril and he pulls out the Silmaril, but it's still in the hand of Baron. So the hand of Baron is completely unhindered by anything. It's in perfect form and it's still holding the Silmaril and he walks over and I believe he gives it to Baron. And as Baron is giving the Silmaril to Thingol, you know, fulfillment of his oath, his hand like disintegrates, disappears. Um, So it's basically like Thingol could see, yep, it was in his hand. But then the hand just disappears, which I don't know what kind of magic that is, but it's, you know, it's kind of an interesting way of that happening. Yeah. Um, yeah. Wow. So this is sad. I mean, at this point, we've got Huan, the goodest of boys. He's dead. Baron mm-hmm. is on the precipice of death. He is, you know, he is on that doorstep. Yep. And so it was said that they were walked back to Minigroth, Baron right alongside Huan, kind of like I would imagine on like a beer or something, you know, like being mm-hmm. walked just side by side. And Luthien stooped over Baron and kissed him and basically told him, Wait for me beyond the Western Sea. And as she said that to him, his spirit left him. So basically, 
men don't get to wait you know like yeah. when, when men die they go off into the void that nobody knows about tolkien never describes yep. but she explicitly charges him wait for me beyond the western sea and so mm-hmm. as sam will describe here in a moment he gets he gets stuck in the halls of mandos waiting on luthien because somehow her command of his spirit just made him stay um and un- unfortunately uh this is you know like their last goodbye he tarries in the halls of mandos and he is unwilling to leave until until luthien comes to say her last goodbye to him yeah which again you just think of the power like tolkien has brought in so many different like magical powers you know both luthien and morgoth and everyone's got their their thing you know their power and yet love seemingly is what's most powerful here because again, like you said, we don't know what happens to men after they die, but they're not really supposed to be able to just wait. <laughs> right, that's, not, right. that's not what's supposed to happen. And, and yet the love of these two is more powerful than kind of the, the rules set uh, by Ilavatar. And so after speaking to Baron, Luthien fell into a darkness. Again, this happens time and time again with Luthien. Um, but her spirit fled and he lay... <clears throat> sorry, her, her spirit fled... And like a body lay a flower that was suddenly cut off and lies for a while unwithered on the grass. Luthien came to the halls of Mandos, so she went to Mandos, her spirit went to Mandos, and Tolkien says that her beauty was beyond all, and her sorrow was beyond all. And her spirit knelt down in front of Mandos. So if you remember, Mandos, again, is kind of that that guy in purgatory, kind of you know, making sure spirits go where they need to go, stuff He's like the that. Doomsman of the Valar. Yeah, the doomsman of the Valar. And, you know, up to this point, again, Luthien's power is portrayed in song most of the time. And we've seen amazing songs, beautiful songs, powerful songs. And yet Tolkien describes this as the fairest song that was ever sung. And that ever in words was woven the most sorrowful song that the world should ever hear. And Tolkien says again that that this song that she sings to Mandos is still heard in Valinor, unchanged and imperishable. So we see that word imperishable again. It just kind of comes up again. Like these things matter. These things of power and Luthien's song. He doesn't give us that song, but he tells us like it's still sung today in Valinor. Like it was that powerful and that fair and that beautifully woven together. Yeah. And so in hearing this song, Mandos is he's he's just blown away by it, but he is just the doomsman. He doesn't, he doesn't get to decide anything um, when it comes to, you know, the fates of the children of Iluvatar. Right. So he summons Manway. If you remember, he's the Lord of the Valar. He's foremost in the thought of Iluvatar. He is the high King of the Valar. Um, He petitions him and he's like, Hey, you need to, you need to figure something out here. Cause I don't know what to do. And it's said that, Manway seeks counsel in the innermost of his mind where the will of Ilovatar was made clear, which is, it's kind of, you know, it's really kind of amazing when you think of kind of the parallels between that and religion. It's like, you know, when you really meditate and think what, what does Jesus, what does God want from me? Mm-hmm. It becomes more clear as when you strip away, you know, the, the vision of man, of manliness or not manliness of mankind you know, when you strip that away and just focus on what God wants, it becomes more clear. And that's kind of what Manway is doing right now. Mm. Um, and basically he comes back to Luthien, the spirit of Luthien, who is kneeling before just singing this beautiful song. He comes back to her and he says, all right, 
Well, I've got two choices. So the first choice is I can release you from the halls of Mandos and you can go to Valimar and you can dwell to the world's end with the Valar in the blessed realm and you can forget all the grief of this world from the previous life, but Baron cannot come with you. So basically mm. you can live forever, everything will be a bliss and happiness, but you don't get Baron. The second choice is you can return to Middle-earth, take Baron with you, and dwell again, but without certitude of joy or life. So we can't grant you joy or life, but you can go back for a time. Um, but the catch is then she would become mortal and be subject to a second death, even as Baron and her beauty would only become a memory and song. So instead of living forever, she would become mortal as a human. And she would actually get to be with Baron, but they would both die a second death. Yeah, and again, this harkens as we kind of go all the way through to Aragorn and Arwen, where Arwen's like, I want to choose that mortal life. I don't care yeah. about living forever. I don't care about going to Valamor. I, I just want to be with Aragorn. So again, we see a lot of parallels between these two. And, you know, kind of how Tolkien leaves it, at least in the Silmarillion with Baron and Luthien, is that they went together beyond the confines of the world and by her choice the two kindreds elves and men were joined together and again they paved the way for the union of elves and men and eventually to inspire the love of aragorn and arwen and i mean this story like i said it's my favorite of the silmarils of the silmarillion because it's just there's so much there there's action there's love there's truth and wisdom too and it just goes to show like Tolkien, again, talking about his wife as he's writing this story, nothing's going to separate me from her. I don't care if it's a werewolf, vampire, the devil, death. Nothing is going to separate me from my love, Edith. And I don't know. That's how I look at Ariel. And so being the the youngest of our family, the romantic, if you will, <laughs> I, feel, I feel like, yeah, it's just, this story really speaks to me. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm kind of on the flip side of that a little bit. I mean, I really enjoy this story. I love the in-depthness of it. Um, but what's actually kind of funny is the other day, I actually read this entire story to Amanda and Evelyn. Um, Amanda was tired of watching TV and just can't hardly move because of her stitches and her pain and all kinds of stuff. I was like, oh, I'll just read this whole story to you. So I actually, I never read out loud. I listen to audiobooks. Um, yeah. But I read this whole story out loud to them. And it was kind of funny because I don't know. Have you ever seen the movie Polar Express? Uh, it's been a long time ago. And I remember it being actually really creepy. <laughs> I don't remember it being creepy, but I hated that movie. I've watched it once. Amanda, Amanda made me watch it once. And I hated the movie because if something could go wrong, it did. The whole movie mm. is them chasing one problem, fixing it, another problem, fixing it, another. Like, it's just nonstop problems. And I hated Sounds familiar. that. And so this story to me was like, uh, never really my favorite. I can't really put my finger on it. I don't know why. I mean, it's a great story. And Amanda was like, huh, that's interesting that you don't really like it because it reminded me of the Polar Express. And I was like, <laughs> you know me better than I know myself. That is the yeah. best way of describing this story wow. where it's like, I actually really do enjoy this story. And I, everything that you mentioned is so beautiful, but it's really just like, and he has another life and he has another life and he has another life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he though that's true. Tolkien definitely provided a lot of drama in this story that we don't necessarily have to deal with in The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Um, 
but yeah I but there is it. a beauty to that you know yeah. there is yeah well i have absolutely loved this three-part series uh, this probably being the longest of all three of them um, i'm excited for for what's to come but yeah baron and luthien that is the snapshot i fully recommend suggest that you go and read it yourself because uh, there's a lot of stuff we just couldn't really get to a lot of little details that tolkien puts in there that are just so beautiful that would have taken like seth said uh, a long time to really flesh out completely but uh, this is the story in its entirety as best as we could do it in three episodes so i appreciate you guys listening to it um, but as you well know at this point we're moving into that section where Gondor calls for aid. Aragorn's going to break into the halls of Metacell. His hair is swaying back and forth. Sexy-like. Ah, oh, man. And he shouts, Gondor calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? If you enjoyed the podcast, please light a beacon by sharing it with fellow friends and fans. And also, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. Good or bad, we want to know what you think of our podcast. And if you'd like to share your Tolkien story, we got to get one of these on at some point. Please email me at wecpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear how you got into Tolkien and what he and his works mean to you. But next time, please join us as we explore through the, the appendices and take a deep dive to the unique and powerful relationship between Arwen and Aragorn. So as we just finished up the conclusion of Baron and Luthien, we're going to look at another elf-man relationship with Arwen and Aragorn and hopefully reveal some things that maybe you didn't get from just reading the books or just reading, uh, just watching the movies. But until then, we thank you so, so much for joining us for these well-earned comforts. Until next time, we bid you a very fond farewell. <laughs>